Welcome. You have found the show we call Real Men Don't Cry, or do they? This is a podcast for men, and on this show, we will hear real-life stories from men about how they have navigated the complexities of being a man in this modern day. We are going to look at the boys don't cry way of thinking and how that has influenced them and how they have risen above societal pressures to be true to themselves. The focus of this show is men's real world experiences, not just ideas and theories. I hope that you will learn from what they have discovered and use it in your life as well. Let's get into today's show. Okay, everyone, thanks for being here. Another episode of Real Men Don't Cry, or do they? This guest, um, goddamn, I love his story. His story is so fucking cool. And where he's at today versus, I don't know, is it three years? Maybe three years ago we met? It's three years ago, yeah. Yeah. This is Jason White, everyone. Thanks for being here, man. I'm super stoked you had the time to do this. Yeah, thanks, man. It's um, I saw the name of it and I was like, yeah, this podcast has been needed. Um, yeah, I just I'm I'm glad you asked me to be on. It's 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 cool. Yeah, well, I mean, your story is just I fucking love it. Like I actually refer to your journey a lot when I'm talking to other guys. Yeah. Um, which before we hit record, I kind of explained what I think of your journey and how cool it is. But why don't you just tell everybody who you are, what you do, yeah. where you are, all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, my name is Jason and I'm originally from Louisiana and, you know, I was raised in a very um, Southern evangelical conservative home. Uh, my great grandmother raised me for a while and she was like the oldest living member of the church we grew up in for ever. Um so that was kind of the background, the upbringing. I got married at a young age. Uh, well, I say young age. I was 26. But like in the evangelical world, like that was one of your goals in life was to get married, to find a good Christian right. woman and have kids and all. And um, it was good. Um, you know, growing up, my brother was a musician, a singer, and he it just he was like a prodigy. He sat down at six years old, started playing the keyboard and picked up the guitar and just good. And so I always had that influence around. So I started singing at a young age, uh, did church stuff, do like talent shows here and there. And then college did some talent shows and some open mics, but I always wanted to get serious about it, but never really pulled that trigger. Um, thought maybe someday I could do something with this. Got married. Um, the, the wife was not a big fan of the music when we were dating. She seemed to be, but once we got married, I think, it was an issue of like, why well, don't want you going out to these bars and singing and these other women and all this kind of stuff. And it was no matter, didn't matter how much I tried to reassure her. So I just, I just stopped. I just stopped mm -hmm. singing altogether. Kind of just put that dream. I buried that dream. I, I like, it was, excuse me. It was dead. Like there was no resurrecting that dream at all. It was like, all right. Eventually I even like sold all my guitars. Like we got married to had three. Then it was two. Then it was one. Then it was none. <laughs> and, um, that was just kind of the life that, that we lived and traveled for work and always chasing something, didn't know what. Then in 20, excuse me, 2018, I believe it was, end of 2017, 2018, I got into men's work, uh, got into meditation, got into just, I started really challenging my own faith. Uh, I, it's, it's kind of a cliche word, but it was like a deconstruction of that faith for me. And 
and that was a very pivotal in on all of this. But um, through that process, I found a group called the Samurai Brotherhood, which was a brotherhood of men um, based largely out of Canada, uh, but they had online groups and squads, they called them, called Ronin. And I joined that, and that is now called Arca Brotherhood, and that's where I met you, is through that, through uh, the guy that led my group, uh, Simon. And you and I kind of messaged back and forth quite a bit. We talked, and we get on calls and about different things. Uh, fast forward 2020, uh, actually, what's today? Dude, no way. Tomorrow will be three years since my ex-wife walked out. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And so. To um, the day? To the day. November 30th, uh, 2020, she went to work. While she was at work, I called a number. We So we had we shared an iTunes account. And what happens is sometimes they'll show, they show us each other who called and all this kind of stuff on our phone. I saw a number I didn't recognize. I knew I didn't call it. And I'd seen that number probably like three weeks before. And I questioned my wife about it. She's like, oh, that's my sister's new number. And then it showed Mm -hmm. up again, but it wasn't saved under her sister's name. So I Googled it. And before it even came up, I knew whose number it was. And I was like, oh, shit. I asked her about it via text. And um, her exact words were, I'm fucked up. This is fucked up. I'm sorry. We need help. And I was like, okay, let's talk about it. And she was like, I'm going to come home. We're going to talk about it. She never came home that night. Um, and she told me later that night that she wanted a divorce and she was done. And this was blindsided. I mean, you know, like one of the main reasons I got into men's work and into meditation was to in, a, in an attempt to save my marriage, to figure out how I can be a better man, a better person. Um, and I realize now, like there, there's nothing I could have done that would save the marriage because it takes two people um, wanting and working and striving for that. And so the marriage uh, was over. I was divorced less than three months later, which was crazy to me. Um, I have two kids involved. And so we, we went through all that. We figured all that stuff out. And man, I was, even with meditation, like meditation was my, my thing. Like that's what got me through. So it says mm-hmm. real men don't cry or do they? Um, that is one of the biggest things that helped. I would sit in my meditation and I would just weep. I would close my door, I'd go in there and I would just weep. And I would allow my body to process every emotion that wanted to come its way, whether that be fear, anger, sadness, depression, whatever that was. And I would just allow that to pass through my body. And I would, there'd be times where I'd be bawling. There'd be times where I'd be screaming. There'd be times where I'd be punching a pillow, like just letting it all out and journaling through that. And, uh, and then fast forward through that. And that was, I was divorced in March. Uh, the last week of May, May 29th, my sister died. Um, she died of cancer. She had been, uh, battling cancer for about four years. And I think right before, no, right after that, I was just like, I didn't know what I was doing and I just needed some direction. And so I I talked to you and I said, man, I said, let's do this coaching thing. And so we did the six weeks, the six or eight weeks with you. And in the process of that, some things came up, um, like, before my sister passed, she was like, I wish you would sing again. Cause we all got together for, mm. for Easter in March of 2021. And it was the first time that me and my sister and my brother and my mom had been together in like 16 years or something like that. And my brother brought his guitar and we're all playing. And she goes, why don't you sing anymore, brother? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, you never sing. Like, what, what is that? I was like, well, I mean, you, you grab your guitar off the wall and it immediately becomes a fight you kind of lose the drive and the passion for it. Then you sell your guitars. Like it just kind of got beat out of me, you know? 
And she was like, well, I really wish you'd sing some more. Let's sing again. I said, all right, maybe so. And uh, so sure enough, uh, my sister died. And I came back from her funeral. Actually, we had already started. I think we had already yeah. started. I think we started in May, April or May. But I came back from her funeral. And you were like, man, because one, one of my guys in my squad was like, dude, he just heard me riffing one night while we were waiting. He's like, I challenge you to post a video of you singing on Facebook. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, and you don't want to let those guys down. When they put a challenge, they, they mean it. And so I just put a real quick little clip of me doing a little Tennessee whiskey on there. It was awful because I didn't have a guitar. It was a little out of key when I got started. But anyways, um, so I posted that. Nothing, nothing come of it, really. You saw it. And you're like, what is that? What is this? And I was like, ah, it's just it's something I used to do, you know, like. <clears throat> so anyways, I come back. And a week after, like right after I get back, immediately I fly in from the airport. I have to pick my daughters up and have them for like an extended period of time. And I'm just exhausted emotionally, physically. Like my sister died. It was rough. I didn't even get to stay for her funeral, like for her, for the burial. I just was at the funeral and had to leave. And um, my next door neighbor, he's like, hey, man, why don't you come to this open mic? And he'd been inviting me for like two years. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, dude, I know you've had a rough week because I told him everything. You know, we were friends. He said, come, it's my birthday, we'll have a beer, and we'll sing some songs. And I, and it was on a Friday. And I said, wait, it, this this coming Friday is your birthday? He said, yeah. I said, how are you going to be, man? He said, I'll be 44. What he didn't know is he invited me to come to his 44th birthday. That same day would have been my sister's 44th birthday that just passed. Oh, damn. And I was just like, that's too much coincidence. Like this person that had been asking me to go back to playing music and doing music and following this dream or whatever you want to call it. Then on her birthday, I get invited to go sing. And so I go and I do her favorite song, which is the river by Garth Brooks. I do it acapella, no guitar, nothing. I don't own a guitar. I don't even know how to play the song. And, um, that night I got offered a, my first ever gig, like full gig. This lady, the owner was like, Hey, I want you to do two and a half hours of country music. I said, man, we got two problems. <laughs> I don't own a guitar and I've never played music that long. She goes, figure it out, sweetie. And let me know when you're ready. I said, okay. Next day, my neighbor knocks on the door. He said, Hey, so-and-so last night heard you didn't have a guitar. And he pulls a guitar from behind his back and he goes, he said, you can borrow this one. I was like, what is going on? Well, this um, was all happening when we were working together too. Yeah. So I, yeah. And so I get on there and I'm like, dude, what does this mean? You're, he was like, you were like, I think you got to see this, see what's this, what's going on with this. And so I start learning. And at the time, like I was trying to do the men's coaching, as you know, and I love men's work. I love helping men, but I never could get it off the ground. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, you can attest to how difficult it is to get any sort of following, any sort of traction and then getting men to commit. It's just, it's a hard road to hope. And, um, and you were like, man, like, I think you're really good at coaching, but I think you're really good at this music thing you need to really think about it and so as we went on the next few weeks it kept coming up and you're like you're like look do me a favor give it a shot give it six months and if it's not there then back away then then you know this isn't for you and i was like all right fine brandon fine and at the end of six months i was gigging every weekend that i didn't have my kids um, now here I am two and a half years later and, uh, and it's just been incredible. Like I, I, I got invited to Nashville, I went to Nashville in August. And I did two writers rounds. Uh, there's a producer in Nashville that has my music right now. That's 
listen to it. There's two more producers that are like, hey, if you get like a professional demo done, send it to me. I want to hear it. Um, and this is, I don't know any, any way to describe it other than it's just the universe. Like, this is where we need you right now. And, um, and yeah, it's just incredible. Like just the journey to get from there to here, to go from taking something that I was incredibly passionate about and just lopping it off and forget, trying to forget about it to now, like, this is all I want to do is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, we haven't talked like, and I love that we haven't talked for a while because is this like, you're doing this full time now, right? Uh, it's not full time um, just because I have my daughters every other weekend. So like I try not to, I'll maybe do one performance when I have them. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard to do full time in that situation. Right. I have a, I have a full time job, but I mean, I'm still making, I'm, I'm doing really well when I, when I line up the gigs, I, I do. And now it's seasoned down here in Florida. So I'm, yeah. I'm turning gigs down. It's a, That's it's a crazy. good problem to have, but. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when we were working together, you were working your full-time job and you had a weekend gig and I'm like, man, I know a young guy who like, he just does gigs and he makes it like, he makes a living doing it. So I kind of like nudged you. I'm like, I think you need to <laughs> look at that to make the part-time income you were, you were, you were doing yeah. on the weekends. And yeah, I think when we were sure talking, enough, I was, I was bouncing at a, I was a bounce. A bouncer at a club and you were cleaning <laughs> boats i think and you then were cleaning I, then boats. i went over and i started cleaning uh boats and trucks and planes like just trying yeah. to like get some extra money and what did i think the funniest one of the funniest things is when i was still married i had the idea i was like hey because i'd gone to this like uh, i call it a therapy camp it's called on-site outside of nashville and it's seven days no outside communication you're not allowed to wear a watch no phones nothing mm -hmm. And, um, while I was there, I kind of rekindled that love for music and I got home and I told my, my then wife, I was like, Hey, like, we're always saying that we need extra money. And she was a stay at home mom. It was fine. But I said, I think that if I went out on the weekends and just busk or played around, I could probably make in a weekend, I could probably make three or $400. Yeah. And she's like, you'll never make that much money. And like, she just shut that down quick. Like I had already like started building a set list and she shut that down quick and i was like oh okay and um and i allowed that to happen like i could have stood up for myself like i was a pushover i know that and one thing that really kind of started the journey of i think the eventually the divorce was my captain uh god love him i had not started reading no more mr nice guy yet i think i started like a day later but he looks at me and he goes, Jason, he's like, you're so fucking pussy whipped. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like, he was like, he was like, sit with that, bruh. He's like, I don't want to hear another word. Just sit with it. And I was like, all right. And I remember I got back on the next meeting. I was like, fuck you, man. Cause he nailed it. He nailed it on the head. Like, I remember telling my best friend, I was like, like, I don't want to be married to this woman anymore, but I don't think I can get anyone like this more beautiful or whatever. You know, like I, I was so like, beat down that I didn't think I had any value. Like I was like, if I lose her, like when, how will I get anyone else? You know? Yeah. And, um, but anyways, it's, uh, it's just been such a great ride and journey so far. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's been so cool to watch you grow and like the, 
I mean, I'm divorced too, and it's been, god damn, it's been a lot of years now. Like it's got to be reaching 14 or 15. And when I was thinking about what are Jason and I going to riff on, and I think there's, like you already shared, there's life after divorce. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) it can morph a lot. And I've seen a lot of guys really find themselves. And, you know, the fact that you were love music, got married, and I call it self-betrayal. I I did the same thing. And then you're like, oh, shit, I did all these things with this, like, false idea of trying to keep my wife happy. And then you get back to yourself post-divorce. It's pretty ironic, you know? Have Have you seen that? Like, like you're still in a men's group, right? Have you seen other Um, guys do that? Yeah, I'm in uh I'm in a men's group locally that I started now. And right. I don't have anyone there that's that's like going through a divorce yet or anything like that. Like there's one guy he went through a divorce years and years ago. Um but I will say so my two best friends, like a little while after my divorce, I went back home to Louisiana and they're like, dude, it's so good to to have you back. I was like, dude, I I was just here. He's like, No, no, no. He's like, You're back. Yeah. And I was like, What? He was like, dude, he's like, you're like the fun loving, outgoing guy again. Like you're like it just it's it's amazing what you'll do as a nice guy. I admit, like I was the nice guy. Like I did everything I could. I changed who I was. I became this chameleon to morph and do whatever kept her happy. And I I, and I can own the fact that more than likely that never made her happy. She Perceived probably would have happy. She, yeah. she probably would have enjoyed it a lot more if I'd have stood up for myself and said, No, this is who I am. And our marriage probably could have been a lot healthier. So I'm not blaming her. I'm taking responsibility for my part in it. Um, and so it's just one of those deals where it was unbelievable. Like I remember I'm, my my sister-in-law, she had met me one time when I was in high school. And then they went to Germany. They traveled. They were military and all that stuff. They lived in Kentucky. And then they came in. And they went, you know, um, when we were together that Easter, um, I was sitting there and I had a beer or two, you know, and then she was like, anybody else need a beer? I was like, yeah, I'll take another one. So I got another one. And then she's like, I'm getting a beer. She's like, I'm getting another beer. Jason, you need another beer? She asked me, she's like, Jason, you need another beer? I was like, yeah, I guess so. And then, then a few minutes later, like 30 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes later, she's like, Jason, you need another beer? I'm like, are you trying to get me drunk? <laughs> and she goes, damn straight. You're so much fun. She's like, I've never seen you like this before. And it was, you know, it was after my divorce and everything else, you know, like I, I was settling back into this person who I should have been all along. But like you said, you sacrifice, you, you do things that you think are going to be for the betterment of you and your family and your situation. And it's not the case. And it's, it's regrettable for sure. But hey, so where I'm, do you think I'm, that comes guy from? Like if you zoom out and you, you look at why guys do that, why do you think that is? <laughs> Um, I think for me, I can't speak for every guy, but I know for me, if I'd zoom out that 30,000 foot view, uh, my parents went through a divorce and it was nasty. It was brutal. I never wanted that. Um, I never wanted to do that for myself, but also if I had kids, I didn't want to do that for my kids to my kids. Um, so I was, um, divorce avoidant, I guess you could say. Um, in that process, I was also raised like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Like that's how my dad operated. <laughs> and, uh, and so you take those two things and you pretty much just become a shill. You know, you're just like, yes, ma'am, let me lay down, let me roll over. 
And what's crazy is that wasn't until afterwards that I, I learned new terms like gaslighting and things like these things. Like if I ever brought something up in the relationship, it that I had an issue with within the hour of arguing about it, even though I brought it up very calm, I was like, Hey, can we talk about this thing you did within the hour? By the end of that, it was my fault. I was the horrible person. And then I would just accept that just to shut it down. You know, yeah. it's things like that because it was easier to do that than to continue to push, continue to push, continue to push. Um, because I wanted to keep the peace. I didn't want my kids hearing us yell. I wanted us to, you know, whatever you may call it. And I think it, it's just this avoidance of that pain, but you allow yourself to experience these little deaths and these little pieces of pain along the way, not knowing that ultimately you're truly killing yourself. You think that you're saving the marriage or you're saving this relationship, but really and truly you're killing yourself. And more than likely you're adding to the other person's death as well. And it, it's just, it's just this vicious cycle, this loop that we get stuck in, especially as nice guys, because we, when they do give us affection, we're like, Oh, it's fixed. It's better. And then when they don't, it's like, Oh man. And it's just this vicious, this, this oscillating back and forth. It's just brutal. Yeah. Been there, done that, man. I, yeah, my marriage is very similar and I don't know if, you know, this resonates with you, but I just didn't know any different. I'm like, this is what we do. Like you mm -hmm. said, your dad's like, if mama ain't happy, nobody happy. Yeah. 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 And that is like the polar opposite of how we make a romantic relationship work. But we're not taught that. Our dads mm -hmm. didn't know. Their dads didn't know. And I don't know. I think you could probably agree with this. The world is so different than when our dads grew up or our grandparents grew up. And there's these extra stresses that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. You know, through our access to the whole fucking world through your phone mm -hmm. or other people that they wouldn't have access to otherwise, or we wouldn't have access to. And I believe it's just distracting, you know, like we would, um, our nervous systems just can't handle it. It's just too much. Yeah. I guess one of the factors anyway, going on. What, oh, dude, you've shared so much. And I'm like, I didn't want to interrupt you because it was, it was such a good share. What do you think your dad or, and or your religious beliefs like showed you as far as relationships. Um, so what's funny is the relationship with my dad and my religious beliefs have changed so much just in the last like five years since meditating, since men's work. And we can get to that, but um, the way it was before was, you know, I watched my dad go through a divorce with my mom and I knew about his divorce from his first wife. And, and then I saw like how he became dependent on my stepmom. And like, if he went through a divorce with her, he'd lose everything. Like everything was her name. Everything was this, you know, all these things. And I was just like, wow. Like I, and I remember him losing so much when my mom left and all this kind of stuff. And, and I remember the trouble that caused my mom. And, and, um, I was just like, I don't ever want to go through that. That looks so incredibly painful. Like as a seven or as like an eight or nine year old kid watching this happen, you know, mm -hmm. only ever seen my dad cry once before. And it was because of a fight between my mom and him. And now seeing him like weeping and all this stuff through this divorce process. Like, I was like, I don't ever want to go through that. Like that. We're not like, again, back then I'm, I don't, I'm a man. Man aren't supposed to cry. Like if this, if my dad's crying, this is bad. Like yeah. my dad fell through an airplane hanger when I was yeah. like six or six and a half. 
And I remember him coming on and like, he never cried. He's just like, he would wince because he was in so much pain, but he didn't cry. And I didn't understand that. And I was like, what? But then now my mom's making him cry. Like, whoa. And I didn't take that as women are bad. I just took it as like, I don't want to be in that situation. And so with the, with the Christian upbringing, it was keep the peace, be a peacemaker, be a peacemaker. And so when me as a giver, as a peacemaker, as someone who is conflict avoidant meets a narcissist that like, just it's me, 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 me all the time. Well, that's like a perfect combination, you know? And it's like, there was no way that I was like, like, even that, like, my daughter's asked, they're like, dad, why is mom mad at you all the time? And you're not mad at her. And I was like, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that she left. I wish she'd have done it different, but I'm thankful that she <laughs> left because in that process, I don't wish her any ill will. Like she's, she's already remarried. Like she's, they've got their life. Like I wish them the best. Like for me, like it allowed me to find myself again, to truly step back into who I am and and learn how to set better boundaries. Cause I've been in a couple of relationships since then, just dating relationships, nothing too serious, but there were some, like there was one girl I've, I've, we've talked about that I was very serious about. And she had lifestyle choices that she wanted to make and she wanted me to make with her. And I said, I can't follow you there. And as much as I care for you and I do love you, like this is where, this is where we must end this. And we're still friends, but we can't do anything more because of the choice. Like, so I have my boundaries now where before, I'd have been like, I mean, I guess if it keeps you happy, <laughs> like it's stuff like well, that. Dude, you, you danced with that. You danced with that situation. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely tenden- a tricky one. Well, those tendencies are there, right? Like those, yeah. you know, we're kind of talking at broad, broad strokes and not really getting to the wounding as to why men do that, which is, is fine. But like, I believe, and in my journey, all my stuff that, uh, had me as a nice guy and a people pleaser. It didn't go anywhere. Like I've just started a, a a great, not started. I'm in a relationship that's so healthy, but those things keep popping up. Oh yeah. And I have to like go, Oh damn, I have that tendency is showing up. Okay. What do I do with this tendency now? I don't have to act on that like impulse. Yeah. Um, but that took time to do, but it's just, it's just, I think it's just like with anything else, like, you're a nice guy. You're always going to be a nice guy. Yeah. Like, unless you just become, uh, you know, you pendle them away and become just a dick. Like you're always going to, you're always going to have those tendencies. That's always going to come up. Like, but the thing is, is you, you have to become aware of the fact that you're a nice guy and keep that yes. awareness, hold that awareness. And then that way, when those things pop up, it, you may not catch them immediately, but you're like, Oh, I'm doing it again. And that's yeah. when you get to make the choice. That's the difference. That's where you become able to make a choice. And that's with anything, any sort of like, mental health or, or striving or spiritual inflation, anything as you're growing, when you get to the place where you recognize that you have a choice, that's when you've made it. People think, no, 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 it's got to go away completely. No, you've made it when you recognize that you have a choice and then you know which one to choose when you you turn the autopilot off. That's, we should just end it there. Cause that, if guys (laughs) take away that from this, that's great because I agree with you hundred percent. But you also said pendulum, and I've experienced that. Like, for me, I went nice guy, and I went a little too far over here, and became yeah. a little. I'm, I'll just fucking own it. I became a little toxic as I was yeah. trying to figure out the balance. And now that I feel I've found closer to balance, those you're right. Those ten, it still comes up, and then I like, oh, I have a choice to override this impulse or this thought or this feeling. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, that's the power. Like that's actually what it means to be a healthy man. It's like, oh damn, I don't have to follow this and insert whatever it is, this Mm -hmm. dark sexual fantasy, this like impulse to yell at my kids, this, you name it, you get a choice on how you behave. Yeah. Like you said, impulse to yell at my kids. Sometimes my kids, they get so mad at me, but I'll be getting worked up and I'll just stop and I'll start laughing. And they're like, what are you (laughs) laughing about? I'm like, because in my head right now, I'm recognizing just how ridiculous it is that I'm arguing with you, that I'm wanting to raise my voice. I love you. You're wrong. Like in this moment, <laughs> you're wrong. But I have to like I'm I'm choosing to disengage from this dance. You know, yeah. like and I'm I'm hopefully in that teaching them. But it's the same thing. So I mean, as men go through men's work, and I know you've you've kind of been a part of this, one of the big things that I latched onto for a while was the, you know, um king, warrior, lover, magician, right? The people think, I think that a lot of times people think, well, I have to be in one of those. No, the thing is you flow yeah. in and out of those. And once you become aware of that, then you can choose. And I think the way I view it is our ultimate goal is to live in that king energy, right? To yes. be just, to I be agree. fair, to be powerful, to know who we are. But what happens is we we get, we oscillate and we just pendulum back and forth between all these others. And it's once we become aware, then we can, when we catch ourselves in this pendulum, we can consciously step out of it step back to the middle. When we're over here, we can consciously step. That is what makes you the king, not living in that quote unquote king energy all the time. What makes you that king is being able to consciously step away from the toxic to be to like the overbearing or the weakling, like just to make the choice yourself to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to respond, react, or live in this place. I'm going to step back into here, which is who I know I am and who I know I want to be. And that's how you continue to strive and you become more and more and more like the wise king. I think that's the only way you can go. It's not chance. You have to you have to be able to like recognize it for yourself. I just read this book by Dan Baker that blew my mind his his perception on how we operate as humans. And he says that you have to use spirit and intellect to overcome your reptilian brain. And I just freaking love that because it's just a different take on what you're saying. It's like we can choose how we, we can choose everything, but how I relate it to what you just said is behavior. Um, because it's true. And when you like start to connect with who you really are, strip away the programming, whatever programming that might be, kind of figure out what your values are as a human being and a man. Now you have a North star so that you know, your reptilian brain, which is like flight, flight, or freeze and programming or whatever you want to call it. You're like, oh, damn, that's not who I want to be. I want to be this guy. Yeah. You get to choose. And you know what it makes me always makes me think of is that saying, um, a tiger can't change its stripes. I call bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's different ways you could take that. But (laughs) I know for me, it was like, even growing up in my twenties and thirties, I'm like, fuck, like there's something off here. I don't know what it is, but something is off. And then in my forties, I'm really like, Oh damn. Okay. All right. I see what's going on here. And you can start to just be who you are, but all that programming I've had and hurt and pain 
is like a warning bell. It's like, if you, if you stay true to who you are, you're going to get hurt. And I'm like, maybe, but I can handle that hurt. But it hurts more to betray myself. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a deeper kind of hurt. Like, you know, those past hurts, they're there. They're, they're only, they're, they're there. They're there for you, for your, they're there to teach you. They're there for your benefit. Honestly, that's, I think that's why we have memory, not to relive things in a good way or a bad way, but to help guide us for the future. And I think, you know, the whole, you know, a tiger can't change his stripes. You know what? You're right. He can't, you know why? Because it's in his DNA, your behavior. Yeah. There is such a thing as nature versus nurture. And there is, there is a difference. Like there are learned behaviors. A tiger didn't learn to have stripes. It's part of who he is. Just like mm. I can't change the way my hair grows in unless I go and physically get it changed. You know, I can change my hair color, but I can't change the actual pattern of my hair because that's in my DNA. But I can change the pattern at which I think because that was taught to me. Anything I was taught, I can change. I, yeah. I, I did a math problem. I was taught one way to do a math problem in high, in calculus in college. And for some reason, I would do it her way. But then when I would do my homework, it would shift. Something shifted. And I would do it a different way, but I'd get the right answer. And I did it on a test. And she marked it wrong. And I went, mm. I went to her office hours. I said, ma'am, I said, something's not right. I said, this is right. I got the right answer. She's like, oh, you did the work wrong. I was like, how did I do the work wrong if I got the answer right? She's like, show me. And I showed her and she's like, show me again. And I ended up doing two problems right there in her office, the way that I do it. And she looks, she goes, I've never seen it done like this. And I was like, so does that mean I got it right? She's like, yeah, you got it right. So it just goes to show like you can learn it one way, but do it a different way if you need to. Like you're, you will find the way. And that's what I love about call it ego death or, or whatever you want to call it. Like that's when you step away from autopilot. That's when you yeah. are no longer in the passenger seat. You move over to the driver's seat of your life and of your choices. And that's, I think, the part that so many men are so afraid of because they've made all these choices, whether they're living with the consequences or whatever. To a certain age, they hit this wall where they're like, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm responsible for all this? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be responsible for all this. Like, they kind of freak out. A lot of men freak out and they push back and they, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this. That's where you get, you know, the midlife crisis. You have an affair, you fuck your secretary, you buy a sports car, whatever it may be, because you're running from those things, right? And it's just funny. Like, if you look up, I think the original Greek for crisis is choice. Mm, really? It's, it's, yeah. I was When I was reading through, um, I don't know if it was Robert Bly or Robert Johnson or, or somebody else, but I remember they, they said that it was, it meant choice. So we see crisis and we think, oh, no, no, it's a choice. Like, it's literally your life presenting you with a choice. Like, what are you going to do? And as men, we we get so freaked out by that because we've got all these other inputs. Like, this is what it means to be a man. We got Hollywood. We got news. We got sports figures. We got all these things. This is what it means. And we've been being a man for 25, 35, 40 years. And now all of a sudden that's being challenged, being pushed. Like, wait a minute. What, what am, wait. Hold on. And it's so hard to step into that, to willingly step into that. But guess what? If you if you don't choose to step into it, as painful that may be, it's going to keep coming up. I mean, there are men that are 50, 60, 70 years old that have been reoccurringly facing these same issues all their life, and they try to find, find, turn a blind eye to it. And it's crazy to me that it happens. Like, that's why you have men like my dad, 70 years old, 
his third marriage. He's been married now for shoot 30 years almost, or right at 30 years, which is incredible. But he wasn't able to stay. If he just stayed the same way, if he hadn't gone through his own metamorphosis or dark night or whatever through those times, they wouldn't still be married because he kept mm-hmm. making the same choices over and over again and the same decisions and it would have led to the same results. And that's what people were like, wow, man, why does it always end up like this for me? What's your fault? You're yeah. unwilling to to let down the the veil and see who you really are. You're unwilling to really look yourself in the mirror and recognize the fact that you're in the position that you're in because you made those choices. Yeah. You decided to marry this woman that you knew you shouldn't have married from like the day you were going to propose. You were like, I'm not doing this. I can't marry this woman. And you let somebody talk you into it. Like that's no one's fault but yours. You can't blame anybody else. You have to start facing those things. You know, one of my, my, on my journey, one of the hardest truths I came up against was the realization nobody was coming to save me. It sucks. It was all on me, all yeah. on me. And I'm like, what? But wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think I like that. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I, in that, in that same vein, I think, you know, men's groups, as we know, they're so powerful. And it's not that anybody's there to do anything for you. It's there to support you, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference between do it for you and support you or, you know, show you your blind spots. Nobody should, well, I would argue there's times somebody should tell you what to do because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, but also, I think it was in the same book I was referring to from Dan Baker. No, sorry. It is from uh, Joe Dispenza's teachings that I am, I'm really, really interested in right now is that in order to like be a, a healthy human being, regardless of man or woman, you have to have some kind of belief in a higher power. You get to choose what the higher power is. And I've really sat with that the last few weeks because I agree. Because yeah, you got to do it on your own, but knowing that you know, if God works for you, that there's, there's a higher intelligence out there. I know for me, it's really helped just process everything. It's like, yeah, I got to do it on my own, but I have this connection with God or the universe or higher intelligence mm-hmm. that I just needed to learn how to access. Like, that's it for me on my yeah. journey. Yes, and that's like you're, very like dumbed down. That's very like super vanilla way to explain it, but it's been massive. Yeah. And I think that's, and that's one of the reasons why I like, I love men groups so much. Like you're, you're on your own, but you're not alone. So it's, yeah, they're going to hold that mirror up for you. But at the same time, their arms are going to be wrapped around you and they're going to be holding you up. Like, that's yeah. what I loved about men's group. That's what I love about the, you know, the higher power. Like for me through this deconstruction, like it took a lot because I was like, man, who, what do I even think of God? Who yeah. is God? Who is Jesus? And then it boiled down to me is like, do I even believe in in this deity as a, as a, this person as a deity? You know, whatever. And so walking through that was very hard, especially because I used to be a pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was a preacher. I traveled to churches and preached. Like to go from that to this, it's like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and it's. But it's, it's always been there. Like, it's just like this nagging feeling, even if it wasn't God, like there's got to be something more. And, um, and I, for me personally, I do think it, that there is God, but it's just like, it's, there's always got to be something 
you i mean i think and i think honestly those terms are interchangeable where you call it god universe whatever i think it's the pretty much the same thing it's just how we yeah. decide to look at it um but you want to know that someone is in your corner that someone really and truly does have the best for you in mind and it's are we able to get out of our own way to experience that? yeah so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, because I grew up in a very religious setting too, different than yours. And that idea of like I it is imperative. I, I really now believe that um you need to have some universe connection to the universe or God in order for you to be like, Yeah, I got this. Um, because if you truly like I, I did say nobody's coming to rescue me. But it's because I had access to this like higher, higher air quotes, higher knowledge all along. I had mm -hmm. it all along. It was just a choice to turn towards it and access it. So whether that be God, whether that be you name it, I, I really now see how, oh, that's how you get through this. Um, mm -hmm. And there's lots of like scientific studies on why people who have a faith do better. Mm -hmm. mentally emotionally all these things so it's super interesting angle that i've not really spoken about yet because i'm still trying to deconstruct it for myself but mm -hmm. i got a question for you yeah about your dad crying because mm -hmm. it was it really is a question i have for a lot of the guests is like when what was the memory of your dad crying do you have one and you shared it but what after that like you were pretty young when it happened did it like concern you did it like did you question why is dad crying did you yeah, question like, oh that's not normal why is a man crying yeah i, I mean i question like why why is dad crying and i, I realized pretty quickly thereafter because like he was like get in the truck get in the car and he had a bag of his stuff and some of my stuff. And we left and went to my grandmother's and left my mom and my brother and sister. And I was like, oh, something with mama. You know, like I, I recognized like that was there was but I didn't understand fully like what that meant, what, what kind of emotional turmoil he must have been going through to be experiencing mm -hmm. that. Um, and then the flip side of that for me was like I was just a super emotional kid. Like I, I cried at where the red fern grows every time I cried at old yeller. I cried at, at, at the lion King. Like I've always been like very okay with that. Like I not in public, I hated it, but it was always like, I just always had a big heart. Like my dad was like, man, you got the mm -hmm. biggest heart kid. And uh, I thought that I felt that as a weakness too. Like, like I was like, man, cause like when I was in public, when I was around people, like I remember I lost what was one of my best friends. Cause he was, we had a, a mentally handicapped, kid in our class and i admit i'd pick on him sometimes too like that's it was just kind of the thing we'd all pick around and we'd pick on him um and one day it dawned on him i was like man like he because we got older and he stayed like he grew with us but his mentally he stayed where yeah. we were in like the sixth grade and i remember i was in my junior year of high school sophomore junior year and me and this other guy with this one guy we were really good friends and he was picking on me throwing through that and i was just like dude you gotta stop He's like, what do you mean? I was like, we're picking on him. We're getting a laugh out of somebody who doesn't even know what the hell we're doing. Like he doesn't understand what we're doing and we're using that to our advantage. I was like, man, we can't do that. And I don't know what prompted me to say that, but I did. And me and him got into a fight 
and then we weren't friends anymore. Like now we're like Facebook friends, you know, like you do with the high school people. But it was just like, I don't know. I always just felt like I could just feel. Now, as we go, as I get older and I get more into this, I learned there's actual terms for that, like empath and empathy and all these things. And and I don't know, like uh, it's just always been who I am. And so yeah. crying in public has been hard, but crying has yeah. never really been like a necessarily a hard thing. Um, but it's just, it's just an emotion to me now. Like it's something that I'm grateful. Yeah, but you, like bring I, up, you bring up something really interesting because I know for a fact there's guys that are more air quotes emotional, but hmm. it's so not masculine. So we've been told, right? So we've been told. So how do you, what do we, what do we tell guys? Cause I'm, I'm in the same boat, dude. Like I'll be in the coffee shop, um, working on something and I'll cry. Like I'm not like balling my eyes out, but yeah. I'll cry. I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I used to worry what people would think of me. So what do we say to the countless men out there that are in the same boat? I think it's funny, man. Like, okay. So let me describe someone to you and you tell me if this person's masculine or mm. a sissy. Um, road bulls, like rodeo, road bulls uh, would rope cows, worked on ranches, would rope and like palpate where you stick your arm this far up a cow's butt, would brand, would castrate steers. Um, they, um, that was like enjoyment to them. Uh, played rugby, was a boxer. Um, and is like currently a pretty damn good and successful country singer. Now, does that person sound like somebody who's weak and emotional and effeminate? Or does that sound like somebody who's like probably super macho? Yeah. All right. That's me. Like, those are the thing. Like people think like, oh, they see one, one little glimpse of your life where you're crying or you're teared up and they want to immediately pass judgment on you as a man because you're a man. But do they stop and they look at all these other things? Do they look at the fact that me being as emotional as I am, that I have a daughter that would rather, that's 12 years old, that's going through really hard time, that would rather talk to me than to her mother? Yeah. But yet I can, at the same time, I can go out there and I can wow a crowd and be Mr. Macho, Mr. Country Music, but I can come home and I can be available to my daughter. Is that weakness? Is that is that weakness or is that strength? Dude. I believe men that, that approach their emotions and show them are the most courageous men out there. Like even the crying in the coffee shop thing, I'm not saying like, yeah. Hey, look at me, but that I had to work through some shit to be okay with that. I'm like, huh, I don't give a fuck what you think. And that it's... took an amount of courage to face that. But I know for a fact, there's so many guys ashamed, ashamed that these it's, things come up for it's them. Not, it's not shame. It's fear. If there's shame, it's because someone told them it was shameful. But that person yes. told them that because it was fear. They were afraid of those emotions. They were afraid of facing those emotions, of feeling those, of what they would do to them. Because guess what? Yeah. What are the what are the most acceptable emotions for men? Anger. Laughter, happiness, and anger. So anger. When did we say that that was okay? When did we say that that was expected and 100% normal for a guy? To, oh, it's okay. He's just angry. What? Yeah. Do you think any of those guys stop and say, okay, I'm really angry right now, but what's under that anger? What, what's yeah. feeling that anger? No, they don't because they're afraid to go that much deeper. 
it's like this like pre-programmed like I'm feeling all of these emotions that I don't want to feel, so I'm just going to get angry. And it's it's that fear of really facing and digging down into what that is, what that what's driving that is is why it's now shameful to be to be emotional. But like they would have so much more full and rounded lives if they took the time. And yeah, you know yeah. what? I guarantee I can promise you for the first six months to a year of you doing that intentionally, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. It's going to suck. You, you will have moments where you will feel a little more feminine. You'll be like, I can't stop crying. Why am I can't stop crying? Because things are being unlocked and released from inside you. When you start doing up here, things from in here start to become released. You know, like uh, Vandercock, the body keeps the score. It's true. And once you allow your body to process and to release things, you will at random. You'll be driving down the road and hear a song. Yeah. Maybe you haven't heard in 20 years or it's a brand new song. And you'll just be like, oh, God. What's going on? But it's like, it's your body is truly processing those things. If you give it the freedom to do that and to not be afraid of that processing process, processing process, processing. And here's the crazy shit on the other side of processing. That stuff is a calmness and a stillness and the ability to navigate these emotions that dude, I still can't put it into words. Like the stuff that's happened to me in even the last 12 months and how I've navigated it. I'm like, how can I do this right now? Like, I don't get it. But I, I attest it to what you said. I, dude, I had a rough, oh, yeah. Some, some, <laughs> I questioned my capacity to do life. Mm. I really did. Cause I was, I, all these emotions were coming out. But after that process, it's like, damn, it's like peaceful over here. It's not only peaceful, it's like that that anger you talk about. It's not that it's not there, but I'm aware, oh, this is about something else. It's totally about something else. Let me just yeah. like sit with this and figure this out so that I don't, to me, I don't want to offload on my kids. That's mm -hmm. like being, as you know, being a father, it really changes your perspective. And I didn't want to repeat the patterns, but I was for the first like, I don't know how many years I was like, oh, damn, I'm doing all the same shit I said I wasn't going to do. And that was a big motivator for me personally. Um, and I just didn't like my life. So, <laughs> or how I was feeling inside. Let's put it that way. My life objectively was not that bad. It's just yeah. like, why do I feel? Because I, you know, I had a heart attack and that was just, that was all that unprocessed shit manifesting in yeah. my body because yeah. i didn't know what to do with it it's so messed up yeah i uh i think it's funny because I, I know on top of fear and shame is the the fear of judgment especially from yeah. other men and then feeling like you are weak in front of women right mm -hmm. the crazy thing is is the women that you want to spend the rest of your life with that are maybe slightly more mature they actually find that incredibly attractive incredibly attractive like the girl that i dated for a long time the first time i brought her over i have on my wall i have a feelings wheel and she told me later she was like i knew this was something special when i walked in i saw you had a feelings wheel on your wall yeah a feelings chart or whatever feelings wheel chart and because like i use that with my daughters too i'm like okay and i use it for myself i'm like okay there's something more going on here like i can feel that i can't pinpoint it but to just stop and slow myself down to ask myself questions like 
what's under this, what's under this, what's under this, and peel back those layers, excuse me, is incredibly helpful. It's helpful, one, in processing that. It's helpful, two, if I process it properly, then I'm not spilling over on them. You know, what happens if you yeah. fill a battery up too much? It's going to spill over. It may not look like it now. Like, if you look at a, a most things, like especially on vehicles and stuff, it has a fill line. Here's the cap. The fill line's usually down here somewhere, right? Well, they know that once that thing gets going, those levels will rise. If you fill mm-hmm. that all the way up to here and that thing gets going, it's just going to start spewing and blowing everywhere. Well, what this work does is it keeps our it keeps us down here at the level we're supposed to be, not up here, so that we have that room yeah. to regulate ourselves. Most guys operate right here the whole time, and they have no room for regulation. And the point is, like, this is a, a, a version or a form of self-regulating of your emotions, of your energies, of all these things. And it, yes, it's scary, but it's totally worth it. Because then if you dig into it and you face these things, you're not blowing up at your kids for no apparent reason. You're not blowing up at your partner, yeah. your spouse, your dad, your mom, whoever, your coworkers, because you've got that buffer zone where you can, before it starts spilling over, you can say, wait, there's something going on here. And if you learn these tools and you learn how to like navigate that, then when it's in that buffer zone, you can say, okay, I need to dig into this. You can stop yourself and whatever your method may be, meditation, journaling, talking to a friend, whatever that may be that you've learned to use. That's where that comes in. That's where it's invaluable. But most guys don't because they're afraid of what they'd rather be judged for getting angry than for crying. Like, you know how backwards that shit is? (laughs) Yeah, I do. But it's been normal. The anger part's been normalized. It has. And that's, you know, that's since World War Two. Yeah. The Industrial Revolution did that. Yeah, I know. I get into that. And that's, uh, so a generation is 30 years by definition. So we're talking like we're three, four generation, no, three generations removed from that. Like it's time. Mm-hmm. It's time to evolve. <laughs> and women have evolved immensely in that space. And the majority of men are just stuck with that you know their grandfathers taught their fathers that that way of being it doesn't work guys it doesn't work you're gonna you're getting left behind you're just you're simply getting and it's not like a shaming thing it's just like i get it and go find the proper help yeah the thing that gets me is they're like well i don't have time to sit around and and feel my emotions i gotta get shit done you think you can't get shit done like you think like i think what they see is is they see like this almost um, cartoonish or characterized version of themselves being, and this is no insult or slam to women in the audience or anything like that, but like women can get, and they're pros at this. They can get together and they can share with one another and they can emote with one another and they can feel with one another. And then they can walk away from it and they feel like that's handled and that's dealt with. And it's glorious. But all the men think is what, I'm just going to sit around and cackle to a bunch of other dudes. No, that's not it at all. Like it, yeah, it would be great if you could learn that ability, but it's it, the processing of it. Like we don't know yeah. how to process through opening up to others. We don't know that vulnerability. No. We don't have that skill because it's been like trapped and like denied from us for so long. Because yeah, guess what? When you went to the plants and you had to work for someone else, you didn't have time to break down. You didn't have time to really feel. You were there to do a job. You were a robot. They conditioned you to become a robot. Yeah. From seven to nine, seven to six or whatever your workouts were. That was the conditioning of it. When you work for yourself, like as you used to back in the day before the industrial revolution, you could could take, 
you could take a break if you need to fill something or if your wife needed you for something, you could take a break. You could do those things, but now you can't. Yeah. And it's just like, it's become, and, and now you've got the pendulum. You've got the guys who go all the way over here and they are just hyper emotional. And yes, they will allow their emotions to dictate their entire mood, their entire day, their whatever. And you got the guys over here that are closed off that are just like, no, I'm here to do a job. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And yeah. they're judging these guys and these guys are judging these guys. And it's creating this, this, this bitterness back and forth. When what we want to find are these guys that are right here in the middle that totally. say, you know what? Like my emotions are important. They do affect me. I can acknowledge that they don't have to control me. I know that I need to get work done. There's a lot of shit that needs to happen right now. And so, you know what? Yeah, I have this emotion. I can recognize it. I can own it. And I can, I know that I can deal with it when I finish this task. Because there is the ability to go back and forth. You know, I got this and tattooed on my hand is because oh, cool. you, you have the ability to experience two emotions at one time. Yes. It's you not, do. I love you, but it's, it's, I love you. And it's, I'm frustrated and I need to get this work done. I'm really sad and I need to get this work done because you can hold tension inside of you for both of those things and, and still manage to get both of those things done. That's a superpower yeah. that you have that you just need to tap into and realize. It's no different than, you know, somebody who wants to become a surgeon. Like there's work to do to learn. There's a skill set to learn to be able to become a surgeon. This is no different. This is just skills. It's not, it's not, oh, I can't do that. It's just, you haven't been shown how to do that. It's very, very different. And yeah, I mean, you've referred a couple of times to the pendulum and I agree with you fully. Like it, it's all about balance. If you're a highly emotional man, that's cool. You need to figure out some regulation. If you're like locked down and you don't show emotion, you need to do some work to like tap into that because it's going to kill you. <laughs> literally i wish i was joking about that or it was an exaggeration but it's not it's just not an exaggeration um you know you know it's uh, i just want to say this yeah what's really cool about doing the work yourself is how it affects those around you right yeah. like they're either going to step up or they're going to step out yeah and so like you got to recognize that and so my ex-wife she decided to step out she didn't want to match. Like she tried it. She, I, I can't fault her. She really tried somewhere in there. She stopped. She decided to reach out to another, another man for her emotional support that she felt like she couldn't get from me. And she did her thing. That's great. That's what, that's the journey that she's on. My dad, I sat down with my dad, I called my dad and I said, Hey, I said, I just need you to know, like when I call you, I want a relationship with you. I'm not calling you for advice. I'm not calling you for you to judge my actions or my choices in life as a, as a man or as a father, I need you to see me as a man. And if this is going to continue, it's going to become more of a friendship than a father son relationship. Yeah. And I was like, if you can hand, if you can't handle that, that's okay. We just won't talk as much. And I'll just call you and say, Hey, I love you, dad. I said, but if you want something like this is what I need and this is what it's going to take. And it took, it took a little while. Like I'd call him and like, Hey, how's it going? I was like, Oh, good. He's like, what you doing? I'm like, I say something. He's like, well, what you need to do? And I say, hey, stop. It's not my call. <laughs> and you know, now, and this is three or four years ago, four years ago, probably five, that we started doing this, talking to each other like this. Now he's one of my best friends. And he'll just come and say, hey, what you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. He's like, oh, man, let me tell you what just happened. And I'm like, we'll just talk. Cool. And like right now, he's, he's battling prostate cancer. Like he just found out it's bigger than they thought, but they think it's contained. And like, we'll just have open and, and candid conversations about it. I'm like, hey, how you feeling? He's like, well, I'm scared. 
I know. Yeah. That's and amazing. Like, walking through um like my sister passing. Like that's a hard subject for him. Like can we talk about it? And he tears up and he's like, it's time I gotta go. And yeah. it's hard because he's afraid to really allow himself to feel that because he feels a lot of shame. There's a lot that happened before she passed. There's a lot of animosity between the two of them. They didn't talk for a while. And, and for him to open up about that is really hard. And I, I, I think I probably get him closer than anybody else. Cause we'll talk and we'll have good conversations and then it hits a wall and he's like, I gotta go. And I know why, but it's just, the, it's simply the fact that like, as I've, done the work it spills over and he told me yesterday he's like son he's like he said i'm proud of you he said the way that you've handled your divorce and being a dad to those two little girls and chasing after a dream he's like i'm so very proud of you he's like i know i didn't tell you enough but i want you to know i am and these, these tears are tears of joy. Like every man wants to hear his dad say, I'm proud of you. Whether his dad was around or not, he wants to hear that from a man that he respects that's above him, that's lived life before him. And um, and it feels good. And I know that like I couldn't have that relationship with him and trust his words if I hadn't laid the boundaries and done the hard work on my end. And like, it's just, it's just, it's rewarding. This work is so rewarding. Like if you're willing to dig into it and, and do the work and the processing and learn how to see your hiccups and your faults and learn how to face them and, and you'll just do those checks within yourself and the way it affects those around you, you become so much more full as a person, as a man, like, yes, I'm divorced and I have two kids and it's a hell, hell of a time sometimes making ends meet. I wouldn't change it. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. Like, and the next person that comes along, the person that I that I do commit to this next time around, like, it'll be that much better. Will it last forever? I don't know. I would like for it to, but at the same time, I'm not stupid. Like, we grow and we change, we morph and we do these things. Like, if they're willing to grow and morph with me, and I'm willing to grow and morph with them, then yeah, there's a possibility. But it's just, it's just a process. It's all a process. Every relationship that you meet is some mirroring something back to you whether it be a coworker or a brother or a sister or a kid, they're showing you parts of you like, Hey, you need to be aware of this. It's not that you need to wrestle it and kill it and destroy it and get it out of your life. It's a, it's the fact that God universe, whoever wants you to just be made aware that, Hey, this is a part of you. And it's based on your reaction. It's a part of you that you're not very fond of. Why don't you make peace with it? Why don't you take the time to like make peace with it and recognize it and say, you know, I don't have to be afraid of that. But I also don't have to succumb to that anymore. It's just all of these things. It just makes for a beautiful life. <laughs> I mean, it really does. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be famous or you're going to you know, get all the women or anything. It doesn't mean anything else like that's going to change. What's changing is inside of you. And it's just incredible. It is incredible, man. And that's how one man can literally change the world. Like, I believe that. You sharing about your dad, you know, you the ripple effect of you working on you is healing him is healing your kids all these people around you are impacting their life in a new way and I, I, it's fucking beautiful it's fucking beautiful that's like 
what men need to hear. It's like, it's not just about you, but it's also just about you. Mm-hmm. It's cliche. Like you do something for you and you help the people that you want to help the most on a level that you haven't been shown. And you're doing that, man. You're literally living it. I, I respect, I respect how far you've come and and how tapped into yourself you are. I got a closing question for you. What message do you have for a previous version of yourself? Oh, the two things it, it always anytime i think about this the things is like you're worthy and you're enough like those are the things that like you're worthy of love you're enough like you're worthy of being loved you're worthy of respect and you're worthy and you're good enough to chase your dream like for me like the music thing like i always compared myself to my brother and like even after my brother moved away i'd go and perform there like, you did such a great job how's your brother doing you know so it's like i was always the second fiddle and and it was just like in this process it's also like my brother has been like you're i I love my brother death and he's a phenomenal musician and i don't think that i'm anywhere near as good as especially instrumentally but he's like jason he's like you got it he's like Mm -hmm. he's like you've got way more than i had he's like you're you're really good he's like you're better than i was and i was like wow like to hear that you know like it, it does something but it's just you, when you go through this, you learn that you are enough and that you are yeah. worthy without anybody else's input, without anybody else affirming that. Like you just learn, like it just becomes a part of who you are. Like I am enough. I am good enough. And we had those conversations. I mean, right now, um, I admit I had a, one of my, one of the guys from my brotherhood passed away um, at the end of last year. And it was, it brought up a lot. Uh, that and my sister passing and just a lot. And I was going through the same time I was going through the breakup with that other person. And um, man, I went into a depression, like it's bad. And I put on in the last year, I put on uh, 56 pounds and um, I felt like it was finally lining out. And then with the voice thing, I had to go through a series of steroids. <laughs> <was just> like, <laughs> but I recognized that, like, I'm not, I don't look the same as I did. So I I still, and it's a process for me. I'm still working on, like, I tie a lot of my self-worth into my identity. Because I grew mm-hmm. up with a dad who's like, oh, you're getting, now my dad is five foot nine, 300 and something pounds. He's not a looker, <laughs> you know? Like, but he's the first one to be like, oh, you're putting on some weight? And I've lived with that my whole life. And so, like, I'm still learning to process that part of myself, like, to love that part of myself more. But we talked about this when I like, and even still now, when I'm really feeling confident in who I am and I'm grounded, I'm centered, I can walk into a room Yeah, and men and women will turn and look like they don't even thing, know man. that somebody it just walked into the room, thing. but they feel it and they'll do it turn. And it's just like, it's because of who you are, who you've prepared yourself to be before walking into that situation. Yeah. I'm not in there being loud. I'm not in there being crazy. I'm just in there being be. who I am. Yeah. And that. Oh man, there's another hour to talk about just on that, on the effect of that. But I want to try to keep, I want to be cognizant of your time and the listener's time. Where can people find you and your music? Because I want to make sure they they see your genius. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, Right now it's uh, jason.white.music. So the dots are periods, obviously. It's jason.white.music on all social medias. Um, And then hopefully 
Um, if I can get some recording done, I'll be on Spotify soon enough. I've got awesome. I got like 16 songs and I'm always writing more. Those are like songs I've written and I've got some more that I've written with other people, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. It's just crazy how life works out. You inspire me, Jason. Like I never, I don't know if I've ever said that, but watching what you do with your music has personally inspired me and I appreciate that. Well, so thank you. thanks for being here, man. I think yeah. people are going to get a ton of value out of this. Thanks. I hope so, man. And and if anyone listening does fo- decide to follow me and they want to message me directly with more questions about this, I'm always happy. Oh, I mean, this is like music is a passion, but so is this. Like they're equal yeah. with one another. Like I love men's work. I love helping people, men, women it, to find that sweet spot of who they are. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate you it. Got it man. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. I honestly hope you found something you can use in your life. And I hope you found some relief in knowing that you're not the only one with challenges. We can be very isolated as men. If you don't have support in your life, please reach out to someone. It's okay to need help. It doesn't mean that you're less of a man. In fact, it takes a courageous man to know when it's time to ask for guidance. Until next time, brother.